You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, unafraid witness, and uncommon community. If you have yet to do so, we would love to have you join us for worship in God's Word on Sunday mornings. For more information, visit us online at harvestniagara.ca. Thanks for listening. I can't tell you how good it is to see you in person, face to face. The last time that I was here in this room, there was just a handful of people and a camera right in the middle of the aisle, and that was it. But it turns out there's a church here, and it's so good to see you. Before we get into the scriptures, and we will, um, I just want to acknowledge uh, with gratitude, many of you have reached out to us. Uh, complete strangers sending us messages of welcome to uh, Harvest Bible Chapel Niagara and to the Niagara region. Uh, so I want to thank you for that. I think we've responded to most of those messages, whether it's through social media or email or texts. Um, it's uh, just very kind of you to reach out to us and to uh, make us feel welcome. There's, there's people that we don't even know who've offered to help us. Anything you need, we're told. Uh, let us know, and so we're grateful for that, and we'll take you up on some of those things for sure, um, but we're uh, grateful for really the uh, expressions of love, the, of uh, really complete strangers, but yet it testifies to the reality that we're brothers and sisters in Christ, and, um, uh, and it also it supports what I keep being told all the time from Pastor Paul Little, Ross, this is a loving church. You're, you're going to love it. These are loving people. And uh, well, it seems, unless you fooled him, and unless you're fooling me, seems that that's the case. So anyway, I just want to say thank you so much for that. And we are excited about coming here. As you can imagine, this has been an emotional time for us, certainly as we uh, close one chapter in our lives. Uh, it's, a, it's a tough thing. In many ways, it's a sad thing. But we're also, we also believe that the Lord has been leading us in this, and, and the Lord's been leading you, and so we're encouraged by that. In fact, we're, we're quite emboldened by that. And so as we are, are going through the emotions of closing one chapter in our lives, we're also going through some totally different emotions about opening a new chapter. And it's, it's good for our souls, for me and for my family, to, to be here today with you because as great as it is to worship the Lord with you and to preach from God's Word, which is what I love to do, it's also really a, just a ministry to our family just being here with you today as, uh, as we follow the Lord's lead in coming here to this church. So uh, we, we come with gratitude, with uh, a little bit of nervousness too, perhaps, maybe just a little, um, but uh, we're glad to be here. I just wanted to, to give you just a brief update. Some of you have been asking about our status in terms of moving and housing and all of that. Um, we are delighted to be able to tell you all that we have sold our house and we have bought a new house. So we, have, we bought a house here in St. Catharines, uh, just over right near the canal. And uh, uh, I'll give out my address. We're not just online here for everybody, I guess. I don't know if I should or shouldn't. But anyway, we're here in St. Catharines. We are not here yet. We'll move on the 1st of September. And then God willing, we'll start here. Uh, I'll be formally installed. The great honor of being your senior pastor on the 12th of September. All right. So now listen, for a God sighting, listen, we wanted to because we like to have our ducks in a row. And because, you know, as much as we talk about faith, we don't really want to live by faith. We like to live by our own reason and organization. And so what we wanted was to sell our house 
and then to buy a new one, right? That's the safe way to do it. But God would have none of that. And uh, it's like the day that our house went on the market in the GTA, the whole market went quiet and cold. We got a realtor say, ah, I don't know what to tell you what's going on here in this market. Well, in God's providence, uh, we sold our, we, we purchased our house one day, and then the next day we finally got an offer in our house and the deal was done. So, okay, all right, Lord, we will just trust you. Apparently, God answers prayer, apparently, so it turns out. Who knew, right? So here's our plan. We, uh, God willing, we plan to move here first of September. Um, this coming week, we got the joy of, of going to a, a Bible camp for the week, and I get to talk to some kids about Jesus, which I love to do. And then we're going to take just a few weeks to uh, just deal with our emotions and to deal with our stuff, like packing, which I can't wait to do. I love packing. <laughs> no. And then uh, the 1st of September, Lord willing, uh, we'll be here. And we're really looking forward to being part of what God is already doing here being part of it, and serving the Lord together, being on mission together, here in this church, here in this city, in this region, and to the ends of the earth. I do not want to waste my life. I want my life to count for Jesus, and I know you do too. So let's do it. Well, I want to open up God's Word today. I want to preach to you a sermon on a subject, really wrestling with what do I preach, sort of this one-off, like I'm, I'm the new guy, but I'm not even new yet, like I'm not even here, so like what do I do on one Sunday? And so what I settled on as I prayed about it and reflected on it is let's, let's just, here's what I want to do today with you. I want to worship God with you. I want to worship Him and just turn our attention to Him and seek Him to stir up in us fresh affections for Him. And um, listen, I have no ability to do that. I cannot do that, but God can, and he'll use his word by his spirit. So why don't we just seek him again together? Will you just pray with me? Fathers, we open up the scriptures today. We do so, Lord, out of a, really a place of need because we need you. And Lord, because of your grace in us, Lord, we want you. We want more of you, Lord. So Lord, would you, would you come, would you open up the eyes of our hearts to see things that are good for us, to, to see things about you and your goodness, Lord. Lord, we, we don't want to leave here unaffected, but Lord, we want to encounter you. So Father, would you come and would you do in us countless things that would be good for us, things I can't even think to ask you today. Lord, would you come and meet us where we are, by your grace, in Jesus' name, amen. God is good all the time, and all the time, oh, you know this saying. That's right. So how many of you have heard that saying before? Okay, some of you, all right. So, so there, this is sort of a well-known, well-loved saying amongst Christians uh, that is really just as a statement, uh, an encouragement, a reminder about the goodness of God to us uh, in Christ. It's a responsive saying. It's something we say sometimes to each other uh, as an expression of praise. You know, when there's an answer to prayer or when there's a real breakthrough, we just see God working. We, sometimes you'll hear a Christian say that God is good all the time. And then if you're with it and you're awake, you say, and all the time, 
God is good. And it's true. It's, it's something we, we do sometimes as expression of praise. Sometimes, of course, we do it as a reminder in the midst of a trial. You know, sometimes we're going through a hard time. A brother or sister will remind us, hey, listen, God is good. He's good all the time. And then all the time, God is good. It's a powerful saying. It's a, it's a true saying. The, the problem we have, though, I find, is that sometimes we forget that, don't we? In the midst of, of, of problems and under pressures, we, we just forget sometimes that, yeah, God is good. Sometimes we doubt it, don't we? We, we wonder sometimes. I mean, we say it at church because we know, it's, we, we know in our minds it's true, but sometimes we start to doubt it in our hearts. When we go through trials and troubles, we begin to wonder, we question, we doubt about God's goodness. You know, David acknowledged this problem when he wrote these words. He said, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his benefits. In other words, self, worship God, worship him, praise him, bless him, and don't forget that he is good. Why would you write something like that? Well, because we forget it sometimes. Sometimes we even doubt it. So my question this morning is, well, how do we avoid that? How do we avoid getting into the place where we doubt or forget God's goodness? How do we avoid getting into the place where we're in that that sleepy, stale rut? We're in our flesh. We're not excited about the goodness of God. How can we refresh our appreciation for God's goodness? Well, I think the one way we can do it is by internalizing our scripture text today, internalizing our scripture text, because... It is an inspired reminder of the fact that God is good all the time. And its purpose is not only to remind us, but I think really truly to stir us up to worship God. And that text is indeed 1 Timothy chapter 1. And if you don't have it open already, I invite you to turn there with me or power it up on your phone or just get it in front of you so you can see that I'm not making this up. It's there in God's word in front of you. And uh, you can see it. I'd like to read it again. We've just had it read, but I would like to read it again so it's very fresh in our minds. And as we read, we'll, we'll note that, that it is it's Paul the Apostle who's writing this. He's writing it to his young protege, uh, Timothy. And he's making a point here of reminding Timothy about the goodness of, of God. You see, Timothy was in a place in life where he needed to be reminded that God is good all the time. See, Timothy was a pastor, and he wasn't just a pastor of any church. He was a pastor in the church at Ephesus. And uh, you say, well, what, what's the deal with Ephesus? Well, the, the issue is, is that it was a tough place to be a pastor. There was significant opposition that Timothy and the believers were facing from outside the church, and there was real trouble brewing inside the church in the form of false teachers. There were well-respected, powerful communicators who were, who were stealing people's hearts away and deceiving them, and Timothy's job was not only proclaim the gospel in a tough setting, but also to confront and expose false teachers. The word that I would use is pressure. He's under a lot of pressure here. This is a tough calling, and you know what pressure does to you. I mean, pressure is one thing, but the real problem with pressure is what it does to you. It drains you, it discourages you, and it gets you into a place where you begin to forget a truth that keeps us anchored, namely, that God is good. 
And so Paul reminds Timothy here in our text of the goodness of God, and he not only reminds us of the truth of it, but he gives his own testimony of his experience of it. He says, verse 12, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, an insolent opponent. When was this? When was Paul like this? Well, before he got saved, right? Before he met Jesus. You probably know the story of Paul. He, he met Jesus in a pretty, pretty profound way. And up until that point, he was all of those things. He belittled the person of Christ. He was a blasphemer. He was a persecutor. In fact, he was on his way to persecute Christians. He was an insolent opponent. He was a violent a person. But, middle of verse 12, but... I received mercy. But I received mercy because I acted ignorantly and in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world. That's Christmas. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's Easter. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. That's every Christian's testimony. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, the foremost what? The foremost sinner. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in him for eternal life. So what do you do when you reflect on God's goodness to you? What do you do when you reflect on it and you realize how undeserving you are and how good God is? What do you do? Verse 17, you worship, right? To the king of the ages immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Well, I sort of feel like I could just sit down now, but I want to, that would rob me of the joy of sharing with you four, four ways in which Paul here highlights God's goodness. We see here God's goodness shown in four different ways. First, God shows us his goodness in that he gives us jaw-dropping purpose. Jaw-dropping purpose. If something is jaw-dropping, it's amazing, right? right? Like, you got to meet who? Like, you get paid how much? You ate how many hot dogs last night? It's amazing. It's, it's astounding. Well, what, what is Paul amazed at? He is amazed here. Notice what he's amazed of. He's amazed at two things. First of all, that he gets to serve Jesus. Right? I thank him who's given me strength. Strength to do what? Strength to serve. Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. So first of all, he's amazed I get to serve him. Second of all, he's like, I get to serve him. Me, of all people. 
I am the last person. If you read a list of people who would be likely servants of Jesus Christ, I'm on the, I'm on the last page. The last name on the last page is me. I, I'm, not only because I'm not worthy, I'm so undeserving. And of course, he rehearsed his own shameful past here, a blasphemer, persecutor, insolent opponent. But, but yet, in spite of all that, He's a servant of God. Paul expresses your amazement at the fact that he gets to serve God. He's got a ministry. Now you say, well, that's great for Paul. I'm happy to, for him, but why should I care? Well, you should care because, well, you, you and Paul are not the same people. You have something amazing in common, that if you are in Christ Jesus, you're called to serve Jesus too. You got a ministry too. You got a gospel ministry too. You've got a purpose too namely to serve Christ. You say, you're sure about that? Yeah, I, I am. Ephesians 2 and 10, just for example. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. That's our purpose, is to do good works for him, which God prepared for beforehand that we should walk in them. See, God's got an assignment for you. He's got a mission for you and for me. He calls us to it. And uh, uh, the, the wonder of wonders is that you and I get to serve the king of all kings. I mean, when was the last time you stopped and pondered the fact that God Almighty, the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, calls on you, you, me, to serve him? And his purposes, his eternally significant purposes, it's astounding. You've got a reason to get out of bed tomorrow. Isn't it amazing? You've you got a reason. You've got, you got a purpose in your life. You've got a mission to fulfill. Jesus said, go make disciples of all the nations. That's, he's talking to you and me. Me? Yeah, You. There's many different ways, of course, that we serve the Lord. Some evangelists, some are teachers, some are gifted to help, some through mercy, some through encouragement, some through faith. Some serve in the front lines, some serve behind the scenes. But if you're in Christ Jesus, you got a purpose, and it's jaw-dropping. I get to serve who? Doing what? That's phenomenal. King of heaven calls me to serve him. <laughs> it's ridiculous goodness. And that's just one thing. So God shows us, first of all, his goodness, and that he gives us jaw-dropping purpose. Secondly, not only does he give us jaw-dropping purpose, but notice, too, he gives us soul-saving mercy. You notice that in the middle of verse 13, Paul talks about his past life, he says, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. When I was preparing, one commentator made this note. He said, here is a prime candidate for judgment. Right? I mean, who, who, who is somebody, describe to me somebody who deserves to be judged and condemned before a holy God. Well, somebody who's a blasphemer a persecutor, and a violent opponent of Jesus. That's probably somebody we put in the you're in trouble books. And what does Paul say? Well, verse 13, he says, that was me, but I received mercy. You see that verse 13, to say that in your Bible? But I received mercy. Soul-saving mercy. 
God shows us his goodness in that he gives us jaw-dropping purpose, firstly. Secondly, and he gives us soul-saving mercy. Mercy has to do, I usually, when I think of the word mercy, I think of misery. Mercy usually has to do with dealing, helping us through and out of our misery. We were in a miserable position, and God gave us mercy. I saw this thing on, I don't know where it was, it must have been on Facebook, I think, where somebody had posted a video of a, a police officer in near, uh, serving near where we live right now. And um, he was trying to do an amazing act of mercy. Here was the situation. There was a little critter, furry little critter, cute as a button, with a little bucket of some kind that was stuck on his head. So it totally covered his snout and his nose. And this little thing couldn't get it off. And it's scurrying around. Now, what's going to happen to this little critter if it, is, if it goes around with a bucket on it? Well, what would happen to you if you went around with a bucket over your face your whole life, right? You probably wouldn't last very long, maybe a day or two, maybe three. Some of you Olympians, maybe four or five. But at the end of the day, at the end of the week, we'd all be done, wouldn't we? And that's what's going to happen to this poor critter. And here's this, this Peel police officer, bless his heart, trying his best to, to get this little bucket off this little critter's head. Now, I haven't told you what the little critter really looked like. I said he was cute. But he was sort of the size of a cat, maybe a little fatter. And he had black fur and a white strip of fur right down the middle of him. Now, all of a sudden, you go from saying, oh, what an act of mercy, to like, what an act of mercy. That this cop, and he gets in there, and with all this, you can only imagine the smell. Some of you have had some far too close encounters with that smell. And here he is, he gets in there, and it's the hero of the day, he able to get that bucket off, and he probably went home and stunk for weeks, probably. Mercy. That little creature was in a miserable position, and that cop was merciful. Well, you and I were in a miserable position, too. If you were in Jesus, you know this. You were in a miserable position. You were lost. You were lost. And what did God do? In his mercy, he came and found you. You were in bondage. You were in bondage to sin. Not only the penalty of sin, but the power of sin. Because you were quite content going your way. And you, you didn't want to go the way of freedom. But God came and he set you free. You were blind. You didn't see things. You, I mean, maybe you'd heard about Jesus. You'd heard about the cross. You knew something about church and God. But all of a sudden, but you, you didn't see the preciousness of this and the necessity of this and the, the beauty of Jesus. But something happened to you. You received mercy. God mercifully opened your eyes so you could, you could see. You, you, you were condemned to a lost eternity, but you found forgiveness through the cross, the cleansing power of Christ. He's counted you righteous. In what misery did God find you? So you can put your name there, but I, me, I received mercy because I acted ignorantly and in unbelief. I think of just a few weeks ago, a new friend of mine, he came from, he came from another religious background, an Islamic background, and uh, he was seeking, he's been seeking for some time to understand the message of the cross. And we were sitting talking about the gospel and I was trying to help him to, uh, to, to see the preciousness of Jesus, encourage him to put his trust in Jesus. And he said something to me. He said this. He said, Ross, what I really want is I don't want to be in darkness anymore. Like I want to know the truth. I don't want to be in darkness darkness anymore. 
And so the Lord, sometimes the Lord just gives you a verse and then you're glad, you're glad you read your Bible, right? So I open up this verse, John 8 and 12. I said, Misha, listen to what Jesus says. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He said, that's it. That's it. That's what I want. Loved ones, that's mercy. That's God's mercy. To see that, to respond that way. Misha was baptized two weeks ago. Mercy. (laughs) I receive mercy. Soul-saving mercy. Where were you? But God found you. Isn't he good? Hasn't he been good to you? God shows us his goodness in that he gives us, well, what does he, you tell me. What was the first one? He gives us what? Jaw-dropping purpose. Come on, new guy. It's Sunday morning. Just let us listen. No, no, what is it? What, gives us what? Jaw-dropping purpose. Okay, good. Yeah. And he gives us life-changing, or sorry, he gives us soul-saving. All right, now the third thing, he gives us life-changing grace. Notice verse 14, what he says. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So when when you read about grace in the New Testament, oftentimes it's talking about saving grace. And I think largely that's what Paul has in mind when he talks about faith, that God has graced him, given him the gift of faith, to trust in Jesus, to believe on him. But also notice not only does he give him faith, but he gives him love. Love. Now remember what we just read about Paul a couple of verses ago, verse 13. He was a blasphemer, persecutor, insolent opponent. So he's a violent persecutor. And now he loves these people. He wanted to put them in jail and see them done away with. Now he loves them. He's willing to lay his life on the line for them. He's a life that's not only saved, but he's a life that's changed. And this is one of the ways that God shows his goodness to us. He gives us soul-saving mercy to, to, to free us, to rescue us from our miserable position. But he also gives us life-changing grace. It changes us. It takes us and makes us into people that please him, that bring him glory, that are different than we used to be. It's one of the ways he's so good to us. Think, think about even the love Dear Christian, the love that God's put in your heart. If you are in Jesus, you know something of this love. You have a love for God. It's not perfect, but you do love him. And not only do you love him, but you love the people around you. I know this because you love me. You, you don't even know me. Have you ever thought of this before? That most of us Christians gathering in our churches... We would never hang out with each other, ever, if it weren't for Jesus. Right? We'd never hang out. Or if we did, it'd be one and done. But Jesus has done something to lots of you, hasn't he? You keep coming back. And you're here. That's an evidence of God's grace in your life. Grace that changes you. And here's one of the things I love about God is that he changes us at the level where it's the hardest for, to, for us to deal with, and that is our desires. One of my favorite verses in all the Bibles, Philippians 2 and 13, it says this, for it is God who works in you 
both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now think about that verse. I'm created, I'm in Christ to do good works, to live for God's glory. So God gives me the the power to do that. But he also gives me the the desire to do it too, to will and to work, To, to want to do what God wants me to do. Do you have, in your life, can you observe as you look back, however long you've been a Christian, do you see in your life a greater will to live for the Lord, a continued will to live for him? That didn't just happen because you're a good person. That happened because God's at work in you with his grace. It's a gift. He's like, look, I'm changing you. And this just makes me so happy in Jesus. He shows us his goodness in that he, he gives us life-changing grace. I love the saying. I don't know who, who originally came up with it, but it's a good one. Not what I could be, not what I should be, but I'm not what I was. Life-changing grace. All right, jaw-dropping what? Purpose. Yeah, you should get used to this, okay? <laughs> jaw-dropping purpose, right? Soul-saving and then life-changing. Now I got another one for you, one more, and it's a goodie. God shows us a goodness in all those ways, but also, fourthly, finally, he shows us his goodness in that he makes our life a story of his glory. He makes our life a story of his glory. I've heard you call people's testimonies glory stories, right? Right? Am I, have I got that right? Is this the wrong church? Yes? Okay, good, because I did this for you, right? I'm like, I should, this is, they'll like this one. All right, good. It's good. It's also hard to see your faces. There's like, there's these huge spotlights, right? Cliff, these huge spotlights and just like, there are people out there. (laughs) That's right. So when I hear you, I know that you're there. God shows us his goodness that he makes our life a story of his glory. Notice what Paul says, verse 14, he talks about the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. And then verse 15, he says, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. So it maybe is a well-known saying or just something that Paul wanted them to, them to remember. But what is the saying? Well, here it is, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost sinner, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. I take Paul to mean this. I think that Paul imagines somebody hearing about the goodness of God in Jesus, hearing about the message of the cross, That Jesus Christ came into the world that first Christmas and he died on the cross that first Good Friday and he arose from the dead Easter Sunday and he did all of this so that any who turn to him and trust in him can have their sins forgiven, can have this jaw-dropping purpose in living, can have a forever home with God in heaven, all because of Jesus. By the way, that is the truth. I'd appeal to you to look away from yourself to Jesus. But you might be like somebody like what Paul's thinking of here. He imagines a person who hears that message and says, yeah, but you don't understand, pastor. I mean, you're a pastor, so you're like a good guy, right? Which shows you how little you know. 
but you don't understand the things that I've said, the things that I've done, the not mistakes I've making, the wicked things that I have achieved in this life. You, you have no idea. To which Paul says, oh, oh, I have an idea. You see, the reality is, is that Paul looked at his own shameful past and realized that even there, God had a providential purpose. That a person could look at their own life and maybe for a moment might doubt that the gospel is for them. Only to look at Paul, a violent persecutor of the church, now a child of God. And Paul could say, you see, you see, Jesus has got patience for people even like you. Because he's got patience for people like me. You and I, loved ones, are trophies of God's grace. You got any trophies at home? Any trophies? I got, the, I got this trophy. This is almost embarrassing to say this, but I'll say it anyway. I got this trophy that I have had since I was 10 years old. And you think to yourself, what does a 42-year-old guy have a trophy since he's 10 years old? What did he do? Did you save somebody's life? Did you, did you break some local city athletics record? Did you, what did you do? I was honor camper at day camp when I was like 10 years old. What are y'all laughing for? I was honor camper, and it's the biggest trophy I've ever received. I haven't won many trophies in my life, just so you know. And uh, stands about this tall. And every time we're digging through stuff, we're going through the season now and packing things, I come across this trophy, and the man in me says, throw that thing out, right? The, the wife with me might even suggest it's time to lay it aside, perhaps. But there's just something, I just can't do it. I cannot take that thing and throw it in the garbage because, because I earned that thing. I didn't like camp. In fact, I hated camp, and I endured it for two weeks, and I was well-behaved, and I won the trophy, so I'm keeping it. And every time you come over and see that thing, you're like, you were a good kid. You're right, I was. And I got the trophy to prove it. Well, there was not probably maybe 30 other kids at the camp, and uh, they probably drew names out of a hat. I don't know, but... When you got a trophy, it says something. It says, I accomplished something. I achieved something. Look at what I have done. Now, that's what Paul says really here about his own life, that his life is a story of God's glory. Do you see that verse 16? I receive mercy for this reason, that in me as a foremost, Jesus Christ might display, display. Look at Jesus' trophy case. Look at what I've done. Look at my mercy, the glory of my mercy. You who would, who would, would, would doubt the, the goodness of God, you who would wonder, can Jesus really save me? Look at my trophy case and see, look who I have saved. Look what I can do. Is anything too hard for me? <laughs> That's what you and I are. So as we go through this life, you're, you're a trophy. Displaying, putting on display, not your own goodness, but the glory of the patience of Jesus, who if it weren't for his patience, you would be done. I would be done. 
but because of his patience, because of his kindness, because of his love, we're his. God shows us his goodness and that he makes our life a story of his glory. Jaw-dropping purpose, soul-saving mercy, life-changing grace, and he makes our life a story of his glory. God is good all the time. And all the time. How should we respond to this? I wrote down two things. One will be probably fairly obvious to you, but I put down two things. The first way that I think that we should respond to this that I made a note of is when we think about God's goodness, you and I should be ready to tell others about it. Be ready to tell others about it. It almost escaped me, but it actually probably is, aside from my second point, the most obvious application of this, because it's what it is. It's a testimony. That's what this passage is. It's Paul's testimony of God's goodness. He bore witness to the goodness of God experienced in his own life. And that's what we are as Christians. We are witnesses. Remember remember what Jesus said before he ascended, Acts chapter 1? He said, you will be my, what? Witnesses. You will be my witnesses. Now, hear that, loved one. Hear it. We are not called to be philosophers, although there's nothing wrong with philosophy. But I think a lot of times we get intimidated out of sharing about God's goodness because we feel like we're not the smartest person in the room. So, I mean, as soon as, I mean, I can try and share the gospel with these people, but this this girl over here, I mean, she's 20 times smarter than me. She'll argue me out of the room. I'll look like a fool. And so I may as well just keep my mouth shut. But you're not called to be a, 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 a philosopher. You're not called to win an argument. We're not called to be merely apologists. Again, we, apologists are good. I, I, I'm nothing against that. But we're, not, we're, we're called to be witnesses. You don't have to be the smartest person in the room. You're not called to win arguments. Sometimes we feel like we haven't got all the answers. They're going to ask me a question, and I'm not going to know the answer, and just, I, I, I don't know. And so we overthink it, and we just keep our mouths shut. But, but we're, we're not called to answer all the questions. There's nothing wrong with saying, that's a great question. I don't know what the answer is. But here's what I do know, is that God is good. He's been good to me, and here's how I've experienced it, that he's, he's changed my life, right? So, so I, that's a good question. I don't know. There's probably smarter people than me know the answer. Why don't we find that out? I, I don't know. But here's what I do know. That's what Jesus calls us to do, to be witnesses. We're, we're not called to be salespeople. We don't have to cool people into the kingdom. That's never going to work anyway. We're just called to be witnesses. Here's what I've seen in my life with the, through the eyes of my heart. That Jesus died, he was buried, he was resurrected, and he's come and he's changed my life. That's what we're called to do. And I love that that's what Paul does here. So loved one, be ready. Be ready to respond, uh, be ready, sorry, to tell others. In terms of responding to God's goodness, be ready to tell others about it. That God is good. Here's how he has been good to me. Dear friend of mine, his name is Neil. He's got a powerful story of God's goodness, and every time I've heard him tell it, 
uh, he weeps. And so it compels me to thank him because it's an emotional story for him to tell. So it always compels me to thank him for sharing it. And you know what he says? He says, listen, if God's done something in my life, then he ought to get the glory for doing it. So it's my joy to tell it. That speaks to me. That challenges me. We can do that evangelistically for evangelism. But actually, even in the context here, this isn't straight-up evangelism. This is edification that Paul is doing. Notice who, who is Paul sharing his testimony with? Another believer. So we're witnesses evangelistically, but also, too, we encourage each other when we give glory to God, when we tell our glory story. The best place to practice telling your story is with other believers. What follower of Jesus here wouldn't want to hear another story of God's glory in someone else's life? So be ready. You say, how do I be ready? Well, pray about it. Write it out. Practice it with other Christians. Even today. I, don't, I doubt there's any Christian here who would roll their eyes and say, oh, do we, I really have to do this today. If you said, can I just, can I just tell you three minutes? I want, to, I want to apply this. I want to tell you about God's goodness to me. You'd be delighted, wouldn't you? So be ready, loved ones. So, so uh, responding to God's goodness, how should we respond? One, be ready to tell others about it. Two, worship Him for it. <laughs> worship Him for it. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, verse 17, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. The song by Shane and Shane, the words go like this. When I think about the Lord, how he saved me, how he raised me, how he filled me with the Holy Ghost, he healed me to the, other, to the uttermost, when I think about the Lord, how he picked me up, turned me around, how he set my feet on solid ground, that makes me want to shout hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, you are worthy of all the glory and all the honor, of all the praise. Oh, it makes me want to shout hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, you are worthy of all the glory and all the honor and all the praise. How should we respond to God's goodness? Be ready to tell others about it. Worship him for it. Now, conclude today, I don't just want to exhort you to worship the Lord, although I have. But I want to worship the Lord with you. In just a few moments, Cliff is going to come and lead us in a song again through which we'll worship the Lord. But there is a particular, another particular way that the Lord has prescribed for us to worship him through communion through the Lord's Supper, that as we partake of the bread and the cup, it is an act of worship. Remember, Paul said that when we do it, we proclaim his death. We bear witness. We testify to the death of Jesus, which is the supreme expression of the goodness of God to us. So as we do Lord's Supper this morning, let's do it together, as always, as an act of worship. 
with front and center in our minds the, the goodness of God to us in Christ. So I, I just invite you just to take the, the bread and the cup, and I'm going to pray and, and give thanks. Now, I'm just going to give you a full disclosure. I asked, how do you normally do this year? And basically, the answer I got is, Ross, you can do it however you want. Okay? So that was uh, Nathaniel that told me, so you can email him. <laughs> you can do that however you want. And so um, uh, here's how I want I'm going to pray, and I'm going to thank the Lord Jesus for his goodness to us, his great patience that we see on the cross, his body nailed to the cross. He shed his blood for us. Together means he died for us. So if it's okay with you, I'm going to pray and give thanks to him for that. Then we'll, take, we'll eat the bread, and then we'll drink the cup. And then Cliff will come and lead us in a song, okay?